Welcome back to another episode of Startup Therapy. I'm Will Schroeder, founder and CEO of Startups.com. And with me today is my other partner, Elliot Schneer, who's the esteemed COO of Startups.com. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you. With uh, a little question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Let me be clear. You've got a podcast with millions of downloads and the one time I get to come on is to talk about one of the most painful and spectacular failures of my life. It's the only thing we talk about. Thanks for the gift. <laughs> I feel like you brought me on to talk about me giving a commencement speech to my entire college and then getting pantsed in the middle. <laughs> and then it goes viral. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, it's, it's horrible. But it's an important subject. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll, I'm happy to chip in. We'll get into it. We'll get into it. Yeah. So on that note, today we're going to talk about something that actually Elliot and I lived through so painfully for a very long time, which is why no one tells founders that it's over, that it's time to move on, kind of time to do your next thing. So E, with that being said, when you think about our last startup that we did together, Afford It, before we did startups.com, you know, we raised money, like failed very spectacularly, very publicly. What's the first thing that comes to mind? I'd say, honestly, a certain level of ignorance, which is appropriate because sure. it was our first run at this. And then ultimately how people outside of you and I as the founder and co-founder reacted and guided us through this journey on folding the tents. One thing I remember specifically early on, we raised some money, we didn't raise hundreds of millions of dollars, but you and I were so meticulous in how much money we had left in the bank. Money was dwindling down. We were facing some regulatory issues, which is a whole nother topic. And we had, I want to say like 6,400 bucks in the bank, small staff. And in my you know, appropriate naivete, I said to you, and, and you basically ran all of our investor relations, right? right so you right. you were the you were the point person in talking to all our various investors. And by the way, we had legit investors. I mean top tier VCs, top tier angels. So no lack of experience on their side. So we're running out of dough. And I was like, okay, well, we're running out of money, but run rate's pretty good. Future looks relatively bright. It's time for the investors to help. <laughs> and uh, you gave me a grim answer, if you can remember it. Uh, well, I remember at that point, I was expecting help. Again, remember, this was kind of our first rodeo on really trying to understand a capital raise, but more specifically, what happens when you run out of money in a capital raise. And you know, to your point, I thought that someone was going to come in and say, you know, either we're going to help you or, hey, it's not going to work, so it's time to shut it off. And we didn't get any of that. I, and I think... That's kind of what kills me in all of this is that we sort of expect to see certain market signals, if you will, about where to go next with our business. One of those market signals is things are growing. We need more cash. Let's, you know, let's raise more money. Another one is things are growing. We need to hire more people. Like all of those moments and transitions are obvious. But the one that's not obvious (laughs) is when it's time to like shut it down. There are no indicators other than the fact there's going to be no more money in the bank. Do you remember anybody ever telling us to stop? It was very strange because I agree. The the investors didn't give us a decisive, okay, guys, it was a great run. It's over. They gave us almost like we called and they were like, who is this? It was a very bizarre part of the process. But look, I get it too. I mean, these guys, you know, it's, it's their job to go out and find dynamic founders, invest in founders, and... They've got to make a lot of bets. 
and they've got to double down on the winners and, you know, change their focus on the losers. Unfortunately, <laughs> in this case, we were the losers. But I agree with you in that I thought we'd built – it's like a relationship where one side loves the other side more. I thought, <laughs> you know, I, I thought we'd built this bond with our investors because, you know, they were, we raised a seed round. We'd raised a small A. I mean, it was – we were in it together. So we thought – I was equally surprised that they not only gave us the cold shoulder, but they gave us the cold shoulder without any additional guidance. Right. And so – we assumed a couple things would be true. We assumed that once our capital raise kind of ran out of steam, and just so folks understand who may have not raised capital before, when you go to raise capital, it kind of has a bit of a cadence to it. If things are going well, people jump on board relatively quickly and sign up, just like in our first capital raise. You know, We raised our money probably within a week at a very difficult time. This is circa 2007 to raise mm -hmm. money. But when they're not going well, as you and I learned, <laughs> they take forever. E, do you remember we were raising for a year and a half, trying to get essentially what would be our, our Series A at the time, and just getting our teeth kicked in by everybody. I mean, how many BCs would you say we finished? I mean, we went, and again, we've come out of it, so it was an incredible lesson. But we went from hero to zero. And I'll keep this story very tight, but... Afford it allowed people to buy products online using weekly payments. It was kind of a firm 12 years ago. Folks are, are familiar with the Affirm product. There was some regulation that didn't exactly say we couldn't continue to run Afford it, but indicated that that might happen, right? And I remember distinctly, again, this was the hero side, and there was a lot of arrogance on our part. We were about to go shop a term sheet from a very prominent VC. When I say shop it, I mean we're going to try to create a bidding war. Right. Regulation comes down, and all of a sudden we've got the scarlet letter. And I think full partner pitches, it was above 50. And that's not like analyst pitches. That's like legit full partner pitches, which was tremendously stressful and <laughs> probably cost us years of our lives. Which was unbelievable because the pitches went really well which is why getting to the partner meetings, you know, was such a, a an important marker. And then all of a sudden, like you said, things turn sideways, and everyone's saying no. We go from term sheet to everybody, you know, looking like like we're going to give them COVID. <laughs> yep, <laughs> when we literally. walk into the room, right? And what we had expected, and I think this is part of the uh, the heart of what we're going to talk about today. What we had expected were to get external signals. External signals would have been from, let's say, our investors. Let's start there to say, hey guys, you know what? Like when things are going good, here's what they look like. When things are going the way they look with you right now, it ain't gonna end well, right? But we didn't get that. Yeah, man, it's interesting you say that because they'll give you appropriately, you know, everybody kind of sits down and agrees to the next big milestone. And in the capital intensive business like Afford It, we knew that we were gonna have to raise big dollars, right? right? We were gonna eventually have to raise hundreds of millions of dollars in at every stage of the fundraise process, we were looking for a milestone. And I remember $10 million run rate being a very specific milestone. Now, the other side to that coin is, what if you don't hit $10 million? We never talked about that. Right, right, exactly. And, and like, so, so play that out. So we're out there, again, killing ourselves, trying to raise capital. All of our investors, we had nine different investors, as Elliot mentioned, well-known investors. They all knew that this was not gonna happen. To this day, actually, this is hilarious. 
I just got an email from one of the investors like three hours ago. <laughs> this is what is it, like thirteen years later. Unbelievable! I'm not even kidding. I, and he's a great guy, so I'm not knocking him. But I just got an email thirteen years later <laughs> from one of our investors. I can't make this up, asking us if Afford It is done. I mean, that's quite. And you, said, you said no. We, we just changed our name to a firm. And things are going very, very well. I was, I mean, again, that's how far off we're talking. Oh, yeah. We, we became, you know, we were buried somewhere in a Google Doc of investments he has made. And for some odd reason, he scanned down and saw Afford It and was like, oh, I'm going to email Will. I wonder how this is going. <laughs> I mean, thanks. I obviously, like, he knew it was shut down, but he was just asking me, like, has it officially been wound down? I need to clear out the books, things like that. But just to put this in perspective, that was 13 years ago. It's, in, it's, it's absolutely insane. A whole different world. So here's here's why this is so important for us as founders and kind of Elliot, you know, journey you and I went through. First things is, as we're losing momentum in the raise, as we're running out of money, it wasn't clear to us what was going to happen next. I had never run out of money before right? You know, I was always building startups and they were growing. I was never the part where I was relying on, on venture to, uh, to sustain the business. And so I don't think you or I understood exactly what was going to happen when that money ran out. And it wasn't total ignorance. We just had assumed because we had a board of advisors, these were all smart folks that understood capital raising well, that they would sit down with us and say, look, you know, uh, again, it's not going to happen. Here's kind of what a shutdown process looks like, et cetera. None of that. It was more like, hey, where are you guys on the capital raise? Well, Ellie and I are half dead and we've pitched, you know, <laughs> right, 15 right, people. Right. I'm in a constant state of panic attack. Things are growing well. Yeah, Thanks, guys. Yeah. And they're like, right. oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, let us know when you've you've completed the capital raise. Like, it was it was bizarre. Let me say this, though. In, you know, I want, I want to make sure that there's some, some nuggets of hope and or education that, that comes from this. One is... Don't take it personally. Correct. By the way, that's really, really freaking hard. Again, because you build relationships with these people. You know, you're playing liar's dice with them in a bar in Palo Alto, yep. right? Yep. So you think. I mean, so you think you build relationships. So one is don't take it personally. And two, ask the reverse milestone questions very, very, very specifically and stay on them. I mean, you don't want to be – look, an investor doesn't want to invest in somebody that doesn't have confidence. So you don't want to say, oh, well, you know, what if we don't make this amount of money? You don't want to make that a, a, a constant topic of discussion. But as your your savings, so to speak, your, your runway is dwindling, hey, guys, we have $50,000 left. Here's where we stand right now. I need to know specifically – how you want to be involved in this or how you don't want to be involved in this. So there's no guessing game at that point. Correct. I, I agree. And, and let me ask you this then. Do you feel uh, then and and now that it, it was the investor's job to raise their hand and say, hey man, you know, time to fold the tents? Man, it's such a good question. And the funny thing is like you and I are now at an age and an experience level where you know, we're the same age as some of these VC partners were when they invested. So, sure. it's, you know, we're we're kind of on the other side of this table now, a little bit. Um, I, I'm going to be very honest. I don't think, I, I, I think in our situation, yes, they should have given us more guidance. And here's why I say that. It's not their job, but they did know the score. Okay, now be, let me point. be specific with the score. They knew what our what we needed, to, where we needed to go. We were 
you especially were were very very deliberate in reporting our progress so so they knew what was happening with the business now here's the third piece to this and this is the part i want to beat this up for a little bit they also knew it was both of our first times raising venture capital and both of our first times going through this process okay so let me stick with that for 2 seconds okay if they would have they they thought look and here's what they should be thinking or maybe would have been thinking Lots of entrepreneurs that have lots of success don't have it in their first, second, or third startup, right? Right. These guys are talented. They got something out to market. It didn't work out. But I want to make sure that we maintain a killer relationship because they may come back to the well, and I want first shot at their deal. That's a great point. Why weren't they thinking that? I'm thinking about – I don't know if I can name them, but I'm I'm thinking about a good friend of yours and a former co-founder of yours – that grew on, you know, grew an astronomically large business, but he had such a good, you can, you can tell the story a little more if it's okay. He had such a good relationship from a failed startup that he was able to raise and partner with some of those same VCs. I agree with you. I think that from an investor standpoint, sometimes it's hard to look past the moment. You know, they're looking at, hey, all I know is I'm about to lose, you know, X amount of dollars in this deal. I'm not really thinking about, you know, I want to fund these guys again. But I would have liked to had have somebody sat sat us down to at least said, "Hey guys, you know, as I told you when I invested, I'm going to advise you at different stages. This just happens to be one of those stages. Mm-hmm. You're at a point right now where if it was going to happen, it would have probably happened by now. If you've done 50 partner pitches and every single person has said no, there's blood in the water with your name right now. Yep. Right? The likelihood that you're going to come out of this is low. I'm not going to tell you it's impossible." But let me just tell you, you know, statistically, the probability of you getting out of this one. Now, going back to what we said earlier, the investors don't have a real incentive to do that. You know, they're, I think I use the the um, the analogy of the investor is like a coach, you know, on the field, and that coach is never going to pull you off the field. You know, no matter right. you're puking between your legs between periods. You're just the, never going to get. Yeah, you're, they're just never going to throw to you again. Yeah, exactly. Right, right. and so. But I would argue, I think that's the right thing to do. I think as, as the investor, as the advisor, it's the right thing to do to coach the founder, even if sometimes those outcomes aren't exactly to your benefit. I think it's just as a person, that's the right thing to do. I think it's a, a low-cost proposition on their side. And I can appreciate, and, and this isn't the We Hate Investors podcast, by the way. Right. We like investors. But it's both humane and I think appropriate on their side. I mean, you know, VC partners and or angel investors are busy, but they're not, you know, thoracic surgeons, right? They can take 15 to 20 minutes to jump on a call and tell you what's what. And those 15 to 20 minutes could be really meaningful. I agree. You know, what also happens is everyone assumes someone else is going to have that conversation with you. You know, I was going to mention that. Now, our dynamic was a little bit different because while we had some some big name investors, our lead was a pretty new fund, if sure. you recall. Yeah. Obviously, you do recall. Yeah. And I still like that fund, and I still like those guys. So I, I do want to say, in this case, there may have been some ignorance or lack lack of experience on their side, too. For sure. Or am I giving them an out? Well, well, you know, the other thing that's a small part of this, but given kind of the title of this podcast, founder mental health or overall health was just starting to become an actual data point that anybody cared about. You know, I, I I would argue we still have a long way to go, but 2007, no one gave a shit 
about our yeah, I, I was going to say it was still burnout as a badge of honor. Yes, the more you're on a plane, the better. Raise as much as you can. You know, celebrate your anxiety. <laughs> Depression means progress. It was a weird. It was just a weird fucking time. It was, and and, and again, I don't think. Uh, and I'm not trying to give the investors an out, but I just, again, times do change. I think at that moment in time, it was you invest in people, you ride them into the into the ground, and when they can't go any further, you just kind of jump to the next one. And again, that was, that was how everybody kind of ran business back then. And it wasn't that long ago. And I would argue that we're not light years ahead of that. We're marginally ahead of that. We're at a point where you can have a podcast like this, where people can start to actually talk about the the toll it was taking on us physically and mentally, and people actually care for the first time. So I'd like to believe that in 2020, when we're recording this podcast, that if we were in the same situation, that the environment would be a touch better. I don't believe it would be a ton better. It's interesting. Well, so a unique compliment I will give the millennial entrepreneur class is they won't tolerate it. That's a great point. They literally won't tolerate it. And, For and sure. you know, you've got some of the smartest young budding entrepreneurs. I mean, I'm thinking about the guys from like Brex. I mean, 23, 24 year old people, they have a very different mindset. And if you don't treat them appropriately in their minds, and if you don't give their emotions their due, um, they're not going to work with you. We just kind of, you know, we, you and I are, you know, Gen X, you know, grin and bear it mentality. Right, right. Which, which in this case was not helpful. No, man. No. <laughs> it in, really in, bad. I, yeah, I, I think there I think I truly think it's a, a good course correct in that way. Okay, so let's take the investors off the hook for a second. In other words, let's assume that it, there's a very good chance that as as we're trying to build our company, that investors aren't necessarily going to be the, the the wayfinder that we're looking for to tell us that, you know, maybe this isn't the right way to uh, we shouldn't continue going. Uh and, and by the way, and maybe you don't have any investors at all. So, you know, that isn't even an option. Who else would you look to to kind of to step back and say, "Hey, Elliot, it's it's probably not going to work. You know, we should probably shut this thing down." Like, like whether they would or not isn't the point. But who, okay, who else so could you imagine? Okay, so so this is an interest. Who else would I have imagined is, is really important because now going through the process, I, I fully appreciate and understand why not. It, this is going to sound bizarre. I kind of expected the staff to raise their hand. Kind of, how, how could they not? Because you're all sinking in the submarine together. Exactly, right? it's like they don't know what's going on. Exactly, and look, we were we were a small and lean team, so you're exactly right. Everybody knew that you know our, our boat was about to sink. Why they were young, man? But why do you think nobody raised their hand and said, "Hey, guys, um, I'm out. <laughs> like this isn't working." Well, actually, it's, it's a good, you know, I think the boat analogy or the submarine analogy might be apt in this case because there's that adage that, you know, the captain goes down with the ship. And I think when you're an employee on payroll and maybe you have a little bit of stock in the company, I think your optionality is just so dramatically different, right? And, and I don't want to discount the amount of belief people put into a company when they go to work there or how their lives are interrupted. I, I, again, I totally respect all of that. However, it's not quite the same. If the company is going sideways, oh, great example. If WeWork goes sideways, the folks that work at WeWork are pissed. You know, their stock's not going to work out. You know, they might get fired, et cetera, or laid off. And that's awful. I'm not knocking that. But Adam Newman, in this case, he made a whole hundreds of millions of dollars. This is going to sound like a very good analogy, but, but Adam Newman either way is tied to this thing. Like maybe yep. he negotiated a great out for himself, but either way, he's tethered to it in a different way. As the founders, we can't just quit. I mean, 
technically we can, and there's a whole episode we've done on that. But we're very tied to this thing. Yeah, and look, the investors, our dollars, our time, yeah, we are we are going to go down with the ship for a lot of reasons. And I agree that while the staff has, you know, they, they are taking a leap because working at a startup, I mean, even back then, is still a non-traditional path. Sure. They're not going to ride this thing to the bottom of the ocean. As well, you know? they shouldn't, right? I mean, the, the truth is, the founders made commitments to a whole host of people. We have one-to-many relationships. The founders made commitments to a whole bunch of investors. They made commitments to a whole bunch of employees. They made commitments to a whole bunch of customers, to the media indirectly, et cetera, uh, not to mention friends and family. They put themselves on a pedestal at center stage for this whole thing. If the founder leaves tomorrow, everyone notices it. If the person who's like, the you know 10th hire leaves like the people internally will notice but literally no one else will notice that the optionality is dramatically different the other piece to this is the staff being and i'm going to say this clearly appropriately selfish right they should have self-interest yes there's no doubt in my mind that specifically with afford it the development team the sales team logistics team everybody knew shit was going sideways okay but (laughs) <laughs> they also knew they were still getting paid. And, and I'm saying this is cool. This is this is legit. So there was no version of folks saying, raising their hand and saying, fold the tents. And, because fold the tents also means stop paying me. Oh, good point. You know, what they are saying is, okay, we know shit's going sideways. There's no doubt in my mind they were looking for other gigs, as they should. But they also don't want to disrupt their primary source of income before they have another another source of income. You know, I hadn't thought about that. I don't know why I didn't think about that. It's so obvious when you say it. But yeah, there's no version at lunch where lead developer is going to be like, you know what, man, we should just fold the tents in this thing. Like whatever money we have left, let's just give that back to the investors, make sure they get out clean. You know, we want to make sure that that we're investable for another one. I I can't even imagine like why that conversation would You know, it's funny. I mean, look, you might get now, we take it with a grain of salt. You might get contrary advice from from certain people on your staff that are thinking to themselves, okay, I can probably find a job in 90 days given my credentials. I've got got stuff out there. That's my timeline. I want to keep the founding team hyped up around this thing so they don't do something drastic. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess the moment folks know things are even going 10% wrong, they're updating their resume. You know, they're exactly they're, as they should, right? But to your point, none of that behavior translates into here's a discernible reason to pull the founders aside and, you know, tell them, please, man, just stop killing yourself. You know, let's uh let's let this one go. I agree hundred percent there. So you know, you've got you've got your staff, you've got the investors, but I want to talk for a second about the group, and maybe it was my maturity level at the time that truly shattered my ego the most. And that was friends and family. Uh, and, oh, that, yeah, of course, because that's that's exponential, right? You've got so yeah, many man. deep ties there. How did it feel to you? So, in other words, like, like, what did that look like to you? So, you know, whenever you're doing a startup, you know, you're, you're taking a, a unique path, right? And you've got friends and family. And if they're not from an entrepreneurial background, and most aren't, and, and that's cool, they're going to question that path, all the way through. And they're going to say, you know, I'll use my dad as as an example, you know, why not stay in big co and grow through that, right? There's, there's less risk. There's probably more time, but there's tremendous upside, right? And 
you get so excited about this idea or so excited about this problem that you're willing to go directly against all those naysayers and say, you know what? You know, I, I feel like it's, it's like almost like an actor moving to Hollywood. I'm going to go chase this fucking thing down to a degree. I'll show you. You're, I'll show you. Exactly. Yeah, you're yeah. all wrong. Right, 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 right. And then you have to come back. <laughs> I mean, and then you literally have to, you know, you, then you, you ride the proverbial uh, train back from Hollywood, back to your Midwestern town. You're dressed in rags in my analogy <laughs> and you're getting off like a cargo train that never happens. It's somehow the 1930s. And it's so awkward, right? Yeah. It's so awkward and it be, because people know what happened. They know that they, they in their mind, told you so for no other reason in, in some cases than they were trying to protect you. Agreed. And now you got to live with that. So actually, let me ask you this. Do you think that for, for us trying to use our friends and family as a, a signal – to no one to shut this thing down. Do you think it's maybe our own ego that prevents us from wanting to listen to that signal? Absolutely. How painful no is that? It. No doubt about it. And we can't control it. And we are so, I mean, we're in so deep at this point with investors. We've moved. We've used our money. We, we Again, we've used investor money. We have a team of people. And to be fair, you got to have some ego to start to, to build a startup. And, and I say, ego, I, I want to make sure that I'm clear. You have to have some confidence to build a startup because you're saying, I can solve this problem better than anybody else out there. Sure. And people will pay for it, right? That's a bold fucking statement. Mm -hmm. Just by, you know, by nature, that's a bold statement. So you've got ego coming into this thing. And it's very, very, <laughs> and it's very, very hard when you have kind of built that confidence and built that veneer to at the end of the day say, I couldn't do it. I failed. Okay, th that's really interesting because we're saying the other two groups had no incentive to tell you to quit. And in, in this group, we have no incentive to agree with them. <laughs> right? Isn't that funny? Yeah. Yes. You know, my wife came to me around this time, as you recall. I was in the worst shape of my life. In fact, E, do you remember I showed you, I think it was last week or whatever, a picture of what I looked like at the end of this horrid affair. Oh, it was, it was a, a Benjamin Button situation. It was so bad. I looked like an 80-year-old man. And I think <laughs> I, I, I was like 37, right? I look like a before and after. I'm, I'm almost 47 now. I look like a before and after of like me at this age being 37 and me like run hard at 47. It's unbelievable. Like the, just the physical toll it took on me. And my wife comes to me and she's like, you're in horrible shape, right? In other words, she wasn't doing an I told you so. This was genuinely a, hey, man, you are not in a good place. Like, you are just like, you're mm -hmm. one of the most happiest, optimistic people I know. And I've never seen someone run themselves so far into the ground. And, and now when you look at the photographic evidence of like kind of the difference, it's hard to believe I even made it that far. But the bigger point is she kind of like rang the bell. And, and I think this is so appropriate because she wasn't saying, hey, you failed. She was saying, you're in a bad spot, dude. We mm -hmm. need to get you out of this. Now, if you stick with that, okay, within friends and family, and I like, I like my family, I like my friends, there are still only two to three that 1,000% have my best interest in mind. Okay. And I'll even include siblings. Like some siblings and I have enough rivalry and we're competitive enough 
that I wouldn't listen to their advice because I'm thinking in my little immature, feeble brain, I'm thinking, well, they're just trying to hold me back so I can't beat them, right? Ah, that's, that's old Elliot, right? Okay. But to your point, like with your wife, there are some people that just genuinely are care about you and they'll give you the, the, the real talk. They'll give you the real advice, just like, I won't say her name, but just like your wife gave you. Yeah, exactly. But here's what broke it. This is the funniest thing. Not like a week later and not connected to anything, I just happened to be having lunch with another founder. And we're just catching up on just random stuff. You know, We're obviously kind of trading stories and how our businesses are going. He tells me his story. Things are going well. They're raising some money, whatever. And then I tell my story. I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, man, it's we're really trying to make it work. But we've been out raising now for about a year and a half. We've done 50 meetings, somehow got nose across the board. Now this whole, the market's changed, you know, with the, the, the market crashing and everything else like that. And I'll never forget this. He looks at me and goes, oh man, I'm sorry, you guys are done. <laughs> and, you're like, and you're like, huh? Well, what are you, I, oh, done. I'll never forget No, no, forget I said we're it. raising money. I'll never forget it. Like, he wasn't even, he wasn't trying to be a jerk. It, in fact, I don't even think he had any concept of the magnitude of the words that came out of his mouth. But he happened to be the first person that ever told me point blank that it was game over. And at this point, I haven't been paid in years. I mean, hey, let me, I mean, let we, me ask not, you a crazy, were you relieved? Um, I was shocked. When he told you that. I was shocked. Like, how dare you, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, you know when somebody just makes a very honest assertion and no matter how mm -hmm. pissed off you are, yep. you just, it pisses you off more because you know it's true. Oh yeah. Right? I was like, you know, I, you know, fuck you, right? Yeah, totally. It felt so offensive. And yet, number one, he was not only not trying to be offensive, he was just being matter of fact because all of the facts were in front of me, right? I just chose to ignore them. The only difference mm -hmm. is he just assumed that I had already, um, I'd already come to the same conclusion because it was so logical. Oh, yeah. And so... I remember You're out of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like literally nobody's invested in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have no employees. Your business right. doesn't run anymore. You have no no investors. Like, like, why would you have any other conclusion? And I remember walking home in Santa Monica from that meeting, being devastated, and just being like, I, I felt embarrassed. I felt defeated at the very least. And it was it was the first real like hard loss that I had taken from a startup standpoint, and it was at that very moment. And the irony is totally unintentionally, right? Like I was going to that mm -hmm. meeting to catch up and high five. Mm -hmm. But so then I thought about it a lot afterward, and I thought about it as of all the data points you and I were expecting to get an answer from. Why was it that person that had like an unabashed? no questions, you know, uh, asked answer. And my thought is because the only person that had no skin in the game mm -hmm. and they were a founder. <laughs> there it is. Uh, uh, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that's, that's the, the perfect archetype to tell you you're done. Not, not your staff, not your investors, certainly not your friends and family, but another founder that's been there and done that. Right. And then all of a sudden, it crystallizes and you're like, oh, oh shit. I'm, I, I, think, I think they're right. It, it'd be the equivalent of Tom Brady and Michael Jordan having lunch. And Tom's like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to wrap with the Patriots and I'm going to sign with the Bucks. And, and Jordan's like, 
are you out of your mind? <laughs> like, what's your yeah. dude? He's like, dude, you can't shoot anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, right? Like, you get to a point where I think there's only really, you know, definitively one type of person that can can give you the answer you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Which I think is an important place for us to kind of point this conversation, which is to say, if you're even fifty percent sure that you're in this position right now, you know, the, the business is flagging for whatever reason. And to be fair, every startup is at some point, but just, you know, y- your mileage may vary. And you're looking for the cues. Like, you know it's there. You know something's wrong. But you can't figure out while no one's told you. Mm-hmm. Ask a founder. Actually, hell, ask us. Email us at therapy at startups.com. And yes. we will, t- <laughs> we're not going to tell you to shut your business out, but, but, unless it's appropriate, but we'll tell you. Because we don't have uh, skin in the game in, in the right way. All we care about is you as a founder, right? Mm-hmm. We'll just look at that and say, look, I get all the signals, but based on kind of how this whole thing moves, this is probably the time to pack it up. And actually, let me say this. Think of the cost of not packing it up. Think, oh. of, think of what you went through. Just person, we both did. But like, you know, from your standpoint, how painful was not packing it up for you? I mean, emotionally, physically, financially, it was probably one of the most painful experiences I've had to go through, which I know sounds trite because we're talking about folding up a, a Silicon Valley-backed startup. But it was, um, again, it was like, hey, you, you always wanted to be a professional athlete and or actor, and you got a chance to go play at that level and they cut you, Yep. right? Or if you're an actor, you got a chance to get on a movie set and they said, it, it ain't going to work, right? Right. So it was really sad. I want to address the the talk to a founder. And I think it's incredibly important. And here, here's a specific piece of advice. Talk to a founder that has both won and lost. Totally. Okay? And here's why. And I know you know this well. If it's a founder that's only lost, they're going to project their own experience on you and say, fold the tent, never raise money again, go get a corporate job. This is fucking bullshit, right? Okay. If you talk to a founder that's only one, they're going to say, stick with it, stick with that startup. You know, here at Zoom, we had bumps too, <laughs> <laughs> but we made it work, yep, right? Yep. Right. They're going to give you the, 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 the other side of the coin. But if somebody's won and lost, they're going to give you, and that's us, man. I mean, they're going to give you a really objective view to say, okay, you, you know, th- th- this is is what it is, and this this should be your next move, and and it's okay. They'll also tell you, ideally, if you're talking to the right person, that what this is costing you isn't just financial. This isn't just about how much money is in your corporate bank account anymore, or even to some degree your own bank account. It's someone that can kind of take stock of where you're at mentally. And just say enough, man. Get off this train because it's it's leading nowhere. In fact, there is a point in the startup, and again, you and I went through this, where you're no longer building anything. You're only destroying yourself. You're destroying yourself. Absolutely. And you and I are total video game nerds, and we talk hit points all the time. And the other side to this is, look, you, you can start – I get it. You can start a business when you're 58. You can start a business when you're, when you're 70. But the reality is – you only have so much piss, vinegar, gumption, hit points to do this, to line up and do it again only a few different times, right? So if we would have played our game for seven years 
I don't think we would have had the energy and or desire and or optimistic outlook to launch startups.com. 100%. 100%. Yeah, that's a great point because uh, the the truth is, you know, we, we do have a fairly narrow window to do great things, but almost an infinite window to destroy ourselves. Right? Yes, yes. And so if we think we're at a point now where the, the walls are closing in, both financially, physically, you know, as far as our physical health, our, our mental health, et cetera, we really owe it to ourselves to go start seeking honest, non-biased feedback from people who not only care about us, but can also step back from the startup itself and say, whether it's this startup or another, I don't care. I care about you and your outcome. And in my experience, and I love what you said, E, about having won and lost, this is why it's time to fold the tents and move on. Mm -hmm. And this is how to do it well. Oh, absolutely. One other point, and it's probably, you know, could be an entire additional podcast, but you don't always have to be down to your last $7,000 to say it's time to fold the tent. And I'm thinking about some of your close friends that had a startup that had raised $20 million and were doing $2 million in revenue, and they were never going to raise another round. 100%. And, and they weren't going to grow from there. So they were just absolutely stuck. Yeah, it's a, a zombie situation. Yeah, man. Yeah, they're venture handcuffs. And and then they, they do that for the next seven years. And all of a sudden, they're like, okay, I... I have no liquidity. I was getting paid lower than my actual wage, and those seven years are gone. But again, that's it's a whole nother it's a whole nother conversation. It is, and, and you know, uh, I had that call from another founder last week, and it's the same thing. We, we were on the phone for nearly two hours, and you know what he said to me? He said at the end of the call, he said, "I have consulted everybody about where I stand. Not a single person has told me what you just told me." And he's and he said, and it pissed me off. You know, that basically, once once you laid out what the situation really was, no different than my friend inadvertently kind of laid out for me just by just saying, hey, I guess it's over. He's like, everything became totally clear. That bad feedback or, or the, that lack of, of poignant feedback also probably cost him another eight months of his life as he was trying to figure out what to do. It's, it, it kills me. It kills me to think. And I think for, for more and more founders, we should be able to, to reach out and get an objective state of the union. And we may choose not to use that advice, but not having it, having to stick with with broken signals from folks that are, you know, completely leveraged on on where they are in the deal, whether they're employers, investors, et cetera, is going to time and time again, lead us to a horrible place. I think we, we need to seek out that, that, uh, that objective advice. A hundred percent. And look, for, for you and I, where our mission is literally just to help create more founders or launch more founders, it's so salient because we're saying, you have these wildly talented people that get trapped and they're losing their years, they're losing their optimism, they're they're kind of losing their zest to be an entrepreneur. Hence why I 100% agree that if people want to literally write into us and say, what should I do next? Not if we can't answer that question, we've been doing this long enough that we probably have somebody that's been in your exact spot as a winner and loser and could give you the right advice there. The point is, I want to get people out of paralysis so they can go get on with their lives, be happy and do something else. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. 
And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later.